Thanks so much for joining us today on Men of Low Moral Fiber uh, for a very special episode of Between Two Chucks. Uh, today we're joined by a man who was there from the very start. Uh, in fact, he was the third overall hire at Lucasfilm Games in 1982. Uh, and he played the roles of senior game designer, project leader, programmer on many, many games over the years. Uh, several that we've actually already played on the podcast, in fact. Uh, and just a heads up that about the 30 minute mark is where we cut it off from talking about old LucasArts days to talking about Thimbleweed Park, which is when kind of the spoilers abound at that point. So feel free if you haven't played Thimbleweed, listen to the first 30 minutes. If you have played Thimbleweed, listen to the whole thing because it's a, it's a really fun interview. So uh, yeah, if you've ever wondered what happened, uh, if you clicked on the hamster, uh, then clicked on the word use, then clicked on microwave in Maniac Mansion, uh, well, you're just a sick person, uh, just <laughs> like Jason and I, but none of us are quite as sick as the man who thought it all up. And that is Mr. David Fox. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey there, I'm here. I'm <laughs> Mr. Are, Ham, yeah. Hamster, the, the enemy of all hamsters, probably. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> I, gosh. I, yeah. I, so far, I've, I've hopefully no one has actually ever tried that at home. I was um, wondering that. Right. I, I also have a thing for microwaving eggs and, and microwaves. I'm not sure if you ever played Zach McCracken, but. Oh, we're getting oh, there. Yeah, That's I forgot right. about that. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Microwaves. Microwave. I mean, they're a magical device. That's for sure. I know Jason had in his childhood started a few fires with sticking things in microwaves. I, I wonder one, if that's where that stems from. One fire. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it came down. from Lucas Arts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're talking to you today because uh, Thimbleweed Park just came out, and we'll get more into your work on Thimbleweed in a little bit. But we just thought we'd start things by uh, looking back at your work at Lucas Arts. Uh, you were uh, one of the first employees there, 1982, you started, you worked there for about a decade. Uh, and can you just start off by telling us maybe how you ended up working there uh, and kind of how the company evolved while you were there? Sure. Uh, well, I was, I, like you guys, I, I lived in Marin and I, my wife and I had started this public access microcomputer center in 1977 called Marin Computer Center. And we had a bunch of computers, and there was nonprofit, and people would come and play games, um, rent time for like dollar fifty an hour. And during that time, I got to learn pretty much self-taught programming, taught myself programming, and then we taught classes, and we got to review a bunch of games for other companies, the small companies that had started making games, and one of them was Adventure International that did. Text Adventures, um, Scott Adams. Um, and he had a series of those that mostly came out on the Radio Shack computer, the TRS-80. And I offered to convert them from TRS-80 Basic to Apple II and also for CPM. And by doing that, I got to go into his code and, and look at, because they're all written in Basic, and and tear them apart and make sure I understood how they worked. I'd find some bugs. I may, might improve the UI a bit in some cases or um, but I liked graphic I liked text adventures because they really weren't graphic at the time right and by being in the middle of his code I got a, a great way to see how someone else put those together so there was always kind of a, a, an adventure connection for me um, and then I wrote this book on computer animation uh, called computer animation primer and if you you could Look at it's on the whole thing's been scanned and it's online, so you can read it. But it oh, was cool. it was um, half of it is uh, based on programming the Atari eight hundred and doing different animation techniques with that, like player missile graphics and scanline interrupts and things. And the first half took a look at high end computer animation, like you know the big the big leagues, like like at the in film and stuff. And through that, I was able to talk to people at the Lucasfilm computer division, which was relatively new. Um, I got in, got to interview some people there, got a bunch of photos to use in the book, got some animations that I I was able to put in the corners. So when you flip through, you could see things animating and created a relationship with a bunch of them. And a year later, when my book came out... um, yeah, sorry, a year later when I was finished with my book, I heard from a member at a computer center who worked at ILM that they were about to start a new games group. And they had just, they were going to hire the, the manager mm-hmm. and it was just all right in the beginning. So I quickly called Ed Catmull, who was the 
um, head of the computer division. And he knew who I was because of the connection with the books, with the animation book. And he said, yeah, I'm about to hire this guy named Peter Langston, and he's going to be the, the head of the group. And when he comes on board, I'll give him your name and you can come in and talk to him. And so um, that happened. And I said, here's my my book. Here's the manuscript of the book. Um, and since Atari had given Lucasfilm like a million dollars to start this new group nice, um, with the idea that they would get first right of any game that came out. Yeah. There was this double connection that I, I knew some people. The book was on Atari. It was computer animation. I was local. I was really enthusiastic. And Peter was actually looking for people who had no formal game experience. Like they hadn't mm-hmm. worked at large companies. So he kind of wanted to start fresh without people with fixed ideas of how to do games. And uh, so he was number one. A guy named Rob Poor was number two, who actually was already in the computer division doing other stuff. And then I was the third one who came on. And uh, I guess I was the first game designer. No, well, Peter, he was a game designer too, actually. But he wasn't doing that um, within within the uh, the group. He was more of a manager and kind of our, our mentor in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, you may not know this. I um, actually started coding in QBasic uh, about a decade after the time you're talking about. Um, and this I still isn't to, a, about you. Just, this we're is not about interviewing no, you. No, today. no, no. Let's okay. let's bring it back to me. Enough about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I actually uh, still I, I teach a class on video games, and uh, the students create text adventures in that class, um, mainly because it's just too much to cover uh, graphics and text yeah. and interaction and all of this. And with a text adventure, I can get across uh, a lot of simple kind of game design ideas without having to worry about spending weeks and weeks on uh, animation. Um, and so it's, it's a, a nice, clean way to get them in. It's my, my favorite class. Uh, but yeah, people are still doing that, which is cool. That's really cool. Um, so, so that's how I got there. Nice. Yeah, our, our Bible for the podcast in general and oh, just yeah. kind of in life yeah. is if I'm sure you've seen this before. I have, uh, I have my, my own copy here somewhere. Nice. Yeah. But oh, I'm, this is an audio medium. So I should probably explain what I'm holding, which is <laughs> Rob <laughs> Smith's dead, road dead leaders. <laughs> just a live chainsaw in my hand, <laughs> but no gas. Uh, yeah. But the, I mean, even before that book came out, but you know, all the stories we heard from, Friends of friends of friends, or just articles we read, reading in the Adventurer. Um, it just seemed like a very fun place to work. Very kind of low stress. Occasionally, occasionally we do hear things that were like, "Oh, everyone jumped on this project to make sure you hit this deadline by this time." I think it was was it in, uh, Last Crusade had to be out by a certain time because yeah, the the, right. the movie was coming out at the same time too. Right. Uh, we 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 missed the movie by a month, maybe. But, oh, okay. But we, that was the target. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you and a couple teams stopped working on what they were working on to help out with that game. Is that right? Right. Yeah, but Pretty it seems to so. Oh, go for it. No, I think I think actually I think Noah was on the project originally, mm-hmm. and then we realized that um, the movie is going to come out in six months, and um, so Steve Arnold, who is our general manager at the time, uh, asked me and Ron if we could jump on because I think I had just recently finished Zach. And I don't know if Ron was on anything. He might have been coming up with some designs of what to do next, but he wasn't actually on a project. Okay. So the three of us got together and brainstormed and ended up, you know, just diving and reusing the same engine that we used, you know, Scum Engine that we yeah. used for Zach, except he you know, modified. So this was the first game that we did on Scum that was PC original. Oh, okay. And that gave us a whole bunch of... Um, extra tools because we could have a real-time debugger. We could have two monitors up on the PC and have one where we could set breakpoints and do other things with it. Where on the Commodore 64, it was just much, much more difficult to do that. Yeah. And, and, and and we got pretty close and we, we got an early script. Um, maybe not early script. We've got a script that was the shooting script, but there's a bunch of stuff in the script that got cut from the movie that actually made it to the game. So nice. we, since we didn't know what they were going to do on the editing, um, like there's a whole scene on the Zeppelin in the radio room that was much more elaborate in the script. And so we had more of it in the game also. Nice. 
Yeah, we we, have, we played uh, Atlantis earlier this. We played it six months ago or so, and we're playing Last Crusade again. I think in, later this year. It's on the it's on the menu. It's on the schedule right. sometime. Yeah, um, Noah Noah and Hal Barwood did um, Atlantis. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, sorry, backing up. I was skipping ahead. Uh, some of the first games you worked on uh, as project leader and pro- as and programmer at Lucasfilm Games then were Rescue on Fractalis, uh, Labyrinth, Zach McCracken, and Maniac Mansion, right? Those are kind of the, some of the first big ones. Right. And then, and then, so Maniac first, then Zach, and then, right. and then Indy. Right. And Indy was really the last one I worked on. There was another one called Pipe Dream, which I was oh, yeah. acting as producer on, but it was a game that we actually, I think, licensed or acquired from someone outside. So we didn't actually do the original development. We just did conversions to other platforms. Is that the same pipe dream that you have the little squares and you're turning the pipes as the, as the yeah, goo is coming down? Pretty much, yeah. It, we it, played that on Game Boy a lot as kids. Yeah, I, I think we did it on a bunch of different platforms. I think I was helping with the, the Mac version. Okay. It's a black and white. This is before there were really many color Macs out there, or sure. any, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So when you were working on all these games, what kind of was the, the pressure or the, the, um, I guess kind of the, the feeling of LucasArts? Cause what you know, like, as far as rescue on Fractalis, we'll start at the beginning, right? What was that your idea? Was that someone else's idea that they'd kind of licensed to you? What was the, the kind of the order? No, there? it was my, it was my idea. Um, okay. I, when I started there, I was, um, we they didn't have our space set up yet for the, the new games group. And so we were actually, a, a group within the computer division initially. And so my office mate was Lauren Carpenter, who was known for creating fractal environments that you could fly through. He was probably the first person to do that. And the Genesis effect from Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan was primarily a lot of his, his work with the hmm. flying through the fractal mountains. That's awesome. Cool. So, and I knew Lauren from earlier because you know we hung out together at SIGGRAPH and talked about different things for the book and interviewed him. And, and so he gave me his first film before he went to Lucas, which is called Volibre, that I, so I could use that in the computer animation primer as a flipbook thing mm-hmm. in the corners, so you can flip through and see those. Oh, um, nice. So I think one of the first things I asked him was, you know, hey, is it, what do you think? Is it possible that we could do fractals on a on a eight bit computer. And he kind of laughed and said, no, no way. (laughs) And then he, he started thinking about it and he said, well, you know, there might be a way. And so we loaned him an Atari 800 and he took it home and taught himself 6502. And he taught himself the hardware workings of the Atari. And we literally, within a couple of days, he came back with a, a real time demo showing, um, Maybe it was a 256 by 256 grid of a mountainous terrain that you could he could rotate and kind of fly through, um, not with any flight dynamics, but just you know forward, back, left, right kind of thing. And there's no collision detection, none of that, but just the proof that he could do this and get a frame rate that was like I don't know eight, six or eight frames per second, which for a flight simulator at the time was amazing. And um, I said, wow, okay. So I came up with a a game design, um, found out first that we were not allowed to use anything that was Star Wars based because license to Star Wars had been sold to other companies, oh, um, like Parker okay. Brothers and Atari and others. So Atari for arcades and I think Parker for, for home. And so it was hands-off. So that was a shock. Because I mean, I think the main reason I wanted to work there was just I wanted to be in the movie. I wanted exactly. to be in the insight. That's as close as I could get to being in it was to actually hang out with the people who helped to make it. Totally. Um, and so I said, so okay, well, I can't do Star Wars. I still want to do a first-person flight game so you can at least feel like you're flying an X-Wing. And um, actually got to look at the cockpit of an X-Wing that was in the, in the I think it's storage someplace and got photos of it and just saw how, you know, up close, it wasn't as anywhere as impressive as it was in a, a darkened, you know, lit thing in a battle, but it was still right. kind of cool. And, That's you know, awesome. that was the inspiration behind the cockpit view with the, with the two struts um, 
in the window struts right. on the cockpit and um, worked out a, um, a game around that. And um, that, that's basically it. Lauren was actually loaned to us for like six months to refine his, his code. Nice. Uh, we hired Charlie Kellner, who was like, I don't know, employee number seven at Apple. And I had known him back from my computer center days as he was helping with this project we were doing. Oh, cool. And he came on, he's, he was this amazing 6502 coder, and he was able to take Lauren's code, understand it, and then add flight dynamics to it and a sound engine that could do multiple, what seemed like you know, maybe eight to 10 sounds at the same time by dipping the, the lower ones and bringing them back, back up again. So like virtual sounds. Um, and Gary Winnick, um, was, I think a freelancer. He might've been working at Atari, but he did the animation of the monster and the characters running. And he ended up becoming, you know, coming on full time soon after the, after that. And I, and then Peter did a lot of the sound effects and music and then, you know, we were able to adapt them from like a Yamaha synthesizer to the Atari and, you know, it just, it was a great team, but, it, but the, the, the best part was that, um, I mean, you read the thing I wrote in the big old, big old, in the beginning of that book. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And a couple of your came, letters were scanned into the book. Yeah. Well, when that came out, I totally forgot that I'd written that. And it was like, <laughs> wow, that's really cool. Um, I was just feeling you know, really emotional about being at the company. I felt like I had to get my thoughts down in some way and totally. you know, what I thought was really important. And, um, the kind of the, the feeling was like, here we are at, at the company that made Star Wars and how are we going to compete with them and come out with games that, that were at the same level as the movies were. Mm-hmm. And I think we were all getting a little bit of like, you know, stage fright, not, a little nervous that we'd fall flat in our faces and totally. embarrass everyone. Sure. So Peter said that Peter Langston said that, Hey, first two games you do, let's, let's just, you know, these are throwaway games. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll, we'll play with it. We'll get to get our, our bearings. We'll get used to the environment. We'll get used to trying to do something. And if, you know, if they come out, okay, then we'll publish them. If not, then you know, they're just, a, they're just a test. Wow. That's really and, nice. And so that was rescue and ball blazer were both in the same category. And, gotcha. you know, by that, that was, I, I started in September. I think by the summer, it was clear that the game was a real game. Same with Ballblazer. They both look great. And, you know, we decided, okay, these are real games. But we didn't really have a, a deadline as such. It was like, you do it until you were done. And there was way more of a researchy feeling for the group. And that was, you know, Peter's background was really research. So that's kind of, in the computer division was really a research group. So that was kind of our origins it wasn't until later that things shifted a few years later um, when Steve Arnold was brought in to kind of mold us into more of a production group mm-hmm. than, than it was before. And, and that's about the time Peter left. And um, even then, though, I don't remember ever being in a situation where like marketing came and said, here's what you have to do or you know, this deadline is like hard and fast. I mean, we, we had, we kind of knew what the budgets were. We figured it would take this long yeah. to do the game. There's some games that were definitely, um, were more, I think, well, Maniac Mansion for one, I think it took Ron a year to get the engine down first. So he had been working on that for quite a while. And I think that was a lot longer than he thought it would take. Yeah. Wow. And he originally thought he just would hand code the whole thing in 6502. And Chip Morningstar, who was working on Habitat, suggested that he do a compiler and, and P code and, and take a different approach, which was great because then we had a, a scripting language, which was easily portable to other mm-hmm. platforms and just yeah. worked really well. That's awesome. So that's a that's long seemed- answer to your, I can't remember what your question was now. Who knows? <laughs> it doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> I think it was, what, what was the vibe there at LucasArts in the beginning? And I think you, you got that. Okay, across, I got so. It. Yeah. So, so we, it was, we stayed small for a while. I think um, maybe by the time I did Labyrinth and then after Labyrinth, I think we were still maybe not more than 15 people in wow. the group. Um, 
that's about how much we were when we moved to the ranch, to Skywalker Ranch. Where were you and, before? In the city? Uh, no, we were in at Kerner. We were in San Rafael. That's right. Yeah. Um, kind of that industrial area. Mm-hmm. And so we went to the ranch. We had our own building and that was great. We, I think we were there for about four years and then we continued to expand. I think by the time we left, they basically had to kick us out because we got up to like 60 or 65 people. Wow. And I think we were, our space was really designed for maybe 40 or 30 at the most. Um, so we ended up back in San Rafael, at, you know, downtown San Rafael, Kerner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so when I think of the ranch, then that that's like, that's the best part of, of being there, I think. Um, even though the commute was commute was awkward sometimes, it was back roads at night, no yeah. lights, windy roads. Yeah, um, especially if you're working late. Um, as far as the like hours, I think. Um, I mean, initially, I was probably most of us are probably doing a normal 40, 45 hour weeks. Mm-hmm. But when you got onto a project and there were deadlines, then you know it would it would go up, and ideally, you weren't in crunch mode for more than a month or two. Um, but in some games, I think they were on for, for much, much longer than that. And, you know, unfortunately. So at that point, then, yeah, there is stress and you're trying to get things done. And sure. there is kind of an idea of when you're, you know, the, the goal to get it out for Christmas or whatever, um, that right, can't right. move that. Yeah. Yeah. So did you have a question about that letter? I know you talked to me about that letter earlier. Oh, um, or feel free to ask what you were going to ask. Well, right I, yeah, I had another question. Let me um, cool. go there, and then I might come back. But um, when you started uh, at Loose Film Games, then you were doing real hands-on—not just hands-on programming, but really thinking about game design, uh, thinking in interesting ways, going and photographing an X-wing co- uh, cockpit as part of your research. And by the time you left, you were in a much more managerial role. Um, what was the the feeling on that for you? Was that it, was it hard to get further and further away from the the actual making? Was it rewarding to to get that kind of overhead view, that that God's eye view on a project? Uh, well, th- th- there was a one year um, after I finished after we finished Indie, and I think after Pipe Dream, that's when we, right around the time we moved from the ranch back to San Rafael. Um, like I said, we, we were up to like 60, 65 people then. Um, the organiz- the org chart was pretty much everyone was reporting to Steve Arnold. And at some point that just became totally unwieldy. So he, he realized that, um, he said, you know, David, would you be willing to become the director of operations for a year? And let's have the programmers and the designers report to you. You report to me. Um, let's get some someone in there for the head of the art department because the art department had, has probably grown up to like maybe 10 or 15 people by then. Um, let's get someone to head the quality assurance group and somebody had customer support and just start hiring people to, to, to do that. And this is the time when we were looking for scumlets, you know, for, for people we could, we realized that we needed to have more people who could program in, in scum, who could do scripting. And so it was kind of in my, lap to find additional people and you know how we call this scum university or scum you and we brought in i think maybe five people and in the first group um with dave grossman and tim schaefer um and then ron did most of the training and taught them scum and did tests and by then we'd already pretty much seen you know we were looking for people that were um had great senses of humor, really funny. And the coding was kind of secondary because this wasn't really heavy duty coding. I mean, they needed to understand programming to some degree, but scum scripting is, um, I'd say in terms of the games you were doing, it's way more about the person's creativity and, and humor. We couldn't teach that. So we had to get that there to start. We could teach them how to code in the, in the language. Um, and, the promise was that if I did that for a year, if I was the director of operations, then I could actually move on to what I really wanted to be doing, which was kind of a location-based entertainment project. 
um, which was kind of more like a precursor to virtual reality. Um, it was be, we're looking at a, a pod based experience. Um, so we we ended up. Um, that's exactly what happened. I, I got someone, uh, Lucy Bradshaw, to replace me as as the um, director of operations, and she became like in charge of all that. And I left. I really left LucasArts and, and went to another group that was just starting called Rebel Arts and Technology. Okay. And that's where we were doing this project, which was a, a co-venture with Hughes Simulation, Hughes Aircraft people that were doing the deal, these professional flight simulators. And they were going to do the tech and we were going to do the design and the game. And um, that's pretty much what we did. Um, I think I was on that for two years and we ended up with a, really cool star wars game um nice. were these for like malls or for yeah home it was like or? theme parks or malls and, and okay. unfortunately it it um a bunch of things happened that meant that it never saw the light of day um there was a iapa conference which is a theme park conference where it was actually shown but other than that i think it was at the time this is like 1990 to 92 and the tech was just too expensive to sure to be featured in entertainment. Um, I think you're talking about like a million dollars in 1992 money for a, for the image generator for yeah. maybe for several of these, maybe for three or four of the pods. The idea is you'd have eight of these pods linked together okay. and do as a multiplayer flight simulator where half the, half of the players were X-wings and they're half were TIE fighters. And you'd be flying through these rescue on fractal style, yeah. uh, craggy canyons and, um, I was working with Orson Scott Card on this, yeah. who who helped me with the some some story behind the game. Was he just um, loving like the Ender's Game style? Yeah, um, levels well, and things. Well, it was it, kind of it, this is the lighter I think, but he he did he. When you tell him what the game was, he came back with like this maybe a scenario of this family going to this theme park and describing what their experience was and gotcha. from their point of view and plus a story and it was really cool. That's cool. And um, at, the, at the end, though, we saw it was just, it was going to be too expensive. And the other part was that Steve Arnold, who was the, a huge proponent for this, left Lucasfilm at about that time and went to work for Bill Gates. And I think he started something called Continuum. And that meant that we didn't really have anyone in the company who was, you know, a huge believer in what we were doing. Right. And eventually, you know, at the end of that two years, they just kind of said, nope, we're going to, we're going to kill it. So yeah. that's when I left when the project died, which yeah, was sad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Immediately when I read about the, the rebel arts and technology, I immediately thought of the, the old virtual reality on the, the side of Northgate, like where the, I think mm-hmm. it was before the movie theater was even there, but that same entrance where the movie theater is. And then did you remember this? Yeah. Five bucks like, for a minute. Five bucks for a minute. Five bucks for a minute. That's oh what I recall. Oh my gosh. But it was wow. all these like vector it. panels everywhere. And it was just like us running around very slowly. I, maybe paintball. the moon. I don't even remember. Yeah, the game was, was paintball. paintball. Yeah. Yeah. You're older than me. You remember this better. Oh yeah. You were on, it, you were on these platforms. You'd go up and down stairs um, and you'd shoot these stairs. There were stairs and, in the video oh, game yeah. and it blew our yeah. minds. So was it really yeah. a paintball or was it like a laser tag? It was, there was an arc to the projectile. Wow. Okay. Uh, I remember that being a, uh, an aspect that was taken in, into it is that, that it actually arced. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so they would tell us, you know, based on where you are, you're going to have to aim differently because it's going to arc the same way. And you're, you're going to shoot over someone's head if you aim it from this distance, but you'll hit them if you aim it from this distance. Um, I it was probably around that time, 92, 93, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I ever did that. I didn't get to do that. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. Apparently we bad. did it for a minute, maybe, maybe two minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We weren't in there very long. I promise you that. Yeah. Uh, well, I did a couple, you know, I was really interested in those. I went to a couple of centers where they had various iterations of those. And yeah. I just never really found one that connected. Um, mm-hmm. Either they were mm-hmm. too difficult to fly because they're, you know, they, they were, they're going more for like the flight simulator authenticity. And you had, you know, had to worry about flaps and pedals, and all these different things. And my idea was like, you get a joystick and that's yeah. it. You know, more like rescue and you, and you fly it and, and don't worry about, you know, let the computer take care of the mechanics and you just have fun. And, um, 
I don't know if anyone's done it exactly like that. I mean, this is what the other thing I'm really interested in is VR and and immersive stuff in AR and yeah. and really haven't had the chance to dive in. I mean, during the time the last couple of years when it's becoming has become more available. Yeah. I've been I've been slightly distracted with with <laughs> Emily Park and and every time I thought about it I said, nope, don't don't divert. You know, stay on Stay on target, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> is that the the sequel to Thimbleweed Park? Is just completely immersive virtual reality. Sure. Right. Playing as Dolores. Okay. It's a, a clown simulator. <laughs> oh, <that> sounds <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> you are the hamster. Well, that's a that's a good tr- transition. Then um, let's move towards uh, Thimbleweed Park. Um, so you got involved in that right from the uh, the Kickstarter stage. You heard that Ron and Gary were working on it. and You wanted to be a part. Uh, so what was it about the project that interested you so much and, uh, and why did you want to jump in? Well, Ron and Gary, I've been in touch with them off and on through the years. Um, really didn't get to work with either of them on anything. I think when Gary had a, um, art company, we, we talked to him about doing some art projects. Um, when I did my Rube Goldberg game, um, I, which Rube works, I had, both Ron and Noah over and we did some brainstorming for a couple of days and that was really fun. And I think when Ron was doing some, um, mobile games, you know, he, I would be one of his play testers where he'd watch me and, and, you know, play through and ask questions and all that. So there's an you know, ongoing connection on a professional cool. level. Yeah. And so when I, when he told me he was thinking of doing this, um, you know, I was I said, this sounds great. Um, I got to see some of the early Kickstarter imagery and and their their plans, gave some feedback, but I really wasn't on the project until um, after the Kickstarter. Actually, I think partway through the Kickstarter, we agreed that um, I'd 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 work on it. So I think there was a point where he announced that both Mark Ferrari and I would would join the team, and I think that created a bump and some interest and. Yeah. Um, then I think the first, so that Kickstarter was in December, mm-hmm. uh, two years ago, and mm-hmm. Ron and Gary did some more brainstorming. They already had a basic idea of the, of the story, um, so that was already pretty much set, but, but more as an outline. Yeah. It, it actually, very much like Maniac Mansion. You know, they both had the story done, and they, I came in and, and said, okay, let's, let's, let's put it together. So I, I did several days of brainstorming with the both of them, maybe in February. Um, and then by April, the engine was, and the tools were far enough along where I could actually wire up a bunch of the, we call wireframe rooms. I and mean, they really aren't wireframe. They're, they're really rough art. And How similar is that to the end of the game? That, that is the end of the game. That is the same. Yeah. Okay. Spoiler. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah, if we're talking yeah. more about Ooh. this, you might want to have people um, put in a spoiler message before. I will put that at the further. beginning oh, of the podcast. Thank okay. you. Well, up to this point, it's, nothing's really spoilery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that we, we save the art and everything you see at the end is the, was, was the rough art that Gary did. Cool. And, um, Wiring it up means, you know, adding walk boxes so you know where the character walks, adding um, objects that are any verbs of the objects. So you open and close doors and walk through and pick up things. And enough so you could pretty much explore the entire game um, at, at some level and actually solve puzzles and do things. And at some point during that process, Mark started working with us and he started taking the rooms and um, maybe doing his version of a wireframe, which is basically a, a somewhat unfinished. I mean, I, I think they're great, but you know, a black and white version of it. Sure. And then he would, um, we'd make some changes there and then he would go ahead and, and do the color and the shading and the lighting and all the other stuff. And then I would get it back and, and then re rewire it again with the new new walk boxes and new new objects and object animation and everything else you needed. We we had a really cool thing, which was a, essentially a lighting, the ability to do lighting in the room. And you know each room has ambient, one ambient light light, which kind of gives the the default color. 
And then we do like these spotlights, um, which we could define the shape of uh, whether they're cones or oh, diffuse wow. or, or whatever, and what, what direction they're pointing in. And those would be, I would position those at all the different light sources in the room. So when the actor walks through, they're lit differently when they walk near another light. Otherwise, That's it would cool. just be the, the background color or the, right. the ambient color. And um, it works pretty well. I mean, it, it, you don't notice it too much, which is perfect. I mean, yeah. you're, if it it would look weird if you walk under a light and it didn't change color, but it does, and it, it works well. So it, it was, you know, it was a cool addition. The other addition from the old days was parallax. Yeah. And adding multiple planes of, of that. Um, there are things that I could never do back then. Like I think we have like limits to how many actors you could have in a room or how many objects could be animating. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, in Zach, I think there's the, in his room, there's the clock ticking or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the cat clock. Yeah. Yep. And in this one, there there essentially are pretty much no limits. Um, there are some rooms where, like when you go to the circus, each light bulb is a separate object, which is being turned on and off. Wow. It, pro, pro, uh, programmatically. Yeah. In code, so I could you know say here's this here's the series of how I want the lights to turn on and off to look like their patterns, but they're actually individual separate. lights, not not whole things. Yeah. That's cool. And each star in the sky is a separate object which flickers randomly at different rates and different, awesome. different intensities. Wow. So you can have, you know, it's, it's no big deal for, for a VR type thing, but compared to the um, the old olden days, you know, sure. there's a lot of stuff going on in the backgrounds. Did it feel just like sitting down in like your favorite couch when you first got in there and you're like, oh yeah, I remember these yeah, days. Yeah, it was kind of like that. It was like, was it was it? like your favorite couch with, with all the all the limitations removed that we had before, like, you know, which can kind of be terrifying probably too, at the same time. Right. Well, and I, it, was, it was kind of fun. It okay. was like, the, <laughs> I mean, there are, there were some limitations still, cause there's still, you know, time and budget as a limitation, sure. but in terms of, um, worrying about how, how much memory was going to be yeah. met by this, by these animations or right. um, how many fractals could be on the screen at once. And yeah. Or how many, <laughs> how many noises we can use, any sound effects and sure. So, um, you know, there, there are some, and, and we may, when we tune that for mobile, which is coming up, um, there might be some issues we have to deal with there. But like when I did the stars, I have a, a value that we can set from zero to one. If it's one that all the stars flicker, if it's 0.5, then, um, half of them flicker. Mm-hmm. And so you could easily oh, um, nice. cut, you know, some of the CPU or whatever, it is the GPUs, you know, work if, if it's on a low end machine or something. Sure. Um, for, for any of the desktop ones that wasn't an issue, you know, that's no, right. no problem there. That is so my, cool. I, my iPhone four, that might be an issue though. Yeah, I don't think it'll work. On iPhone 4. <laughs> You'd also probably need, need a very small finger um, yeah, for, for, for the older screens. I don't have that phone, but yeah. that's good to know. <laughs> Um, the, the best, I want to say the best part though, was, yeah. was really just working with Ron and Gary and the, yeah, I, I was a little nervous. I don't know how they felt, but you know, walking into a brainstorming meeting and not really having brainstorm with them in this way on their game mm-hmm. for like 30 years. And, sure. um, was it going to work? Was it going to be really awkward? And it, it took, you know, a couple minutes and it just felt like we just jumped right back into it. And cool. you know, it, it was that was that was the thing I remember the most at working at Lucas was the collaboration and the creativity of the other people, and that's I, I miss that you know I miss that a lot and I feel like we got that back, um, and I think it shows in the in the game that you can see we're we're basically playing not just with you the player but with each other and yeah. you know a bunch of little things we threw in we're really you know I was imagining what Ron would how he'd respond when he saw this little joke I threw in there, these little in jokes and stuff and, yeah. and vice versa. So that was, it was fun. I don't know if you noticed that we just released a new version of the game. Um, no, w- we were getting feedback from some of the players and reviewers who really didn't know the old games that were mm. complaining about in jokes, too many in jokes. And 
so we ended up putting a an option in there next to the toilet paper over under option. I don't know if you know about that one. Um, <laughs> That's good. I, like I didn't that. notice that. Um, yeah, there's an option for uh, which way you want your toilet paper roll to go <laughs> the back end. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, the other option is um, to turn on or off annoying in jokes. And <laughs> really? So you, well, yeah, I haven't so, played it since then. Okay. Yeah, so you can now turn off the annoying in jokes if you want. Like, you guys would probably like them. I think you probably. You know, since you know the other games, it's, it's fine. So it's just oh, we like, loved the in jokes. Those, those yeah, were, yeah. yeah. But it was, I mean, since this was a Kickstarter, and the people who backed the game were were those who pretty we're much in. yeah had played our other stuff, yeah. and we were doing the game for these people. Totally. For you know, I feel like they hired us to do this game. Yeah. And I didn't. I don't think we really stepped back to see to think about how people who weren't huge fans of these old games would respond to a lot of these references, uh, especially ones that they had no idea what they were. Sure. And, and there are a lot, you know? Yeah. So yeah, how um, much of Dolores's character is left after removing those in jokes? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, there's a lot. I mean, there's some things like there's this line that she says when she opens the refrigerator and she tries to pick up the, the ketchup <gasps> bottles. Sierra. Which Sierra. is a Sierra dig. And so in in-joke mode, that's there. No in-joke mode. She, she, just says, I'll, I'll be careful picking it up. And that's Aww. it. And so so there's some things like that where some of the Sierra jabs, some of the Lucasfilm references, there's still, um, you know, some of the stuff is so integral, we couldn't remove it. So the, you right. know, the, the thing like pixelating and yeah. the body's pixelating and, right. and things like that are, are kind of fourth wall breaking. But sure, this is more about the in-jokes than the fourth wall breaking, I think. Yeah. So the, the mucus phlegm, was it the pamphlet or the... Yeah, um, oh, that's the same. The application? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't change. That's like two pages of in-jokes. Right, right. So that stuff <laughs> doesn't change. Because that, you know, that, you know, she's, that's where she's going to work. Yeah. That's where you want it. So that's, that's the company she's going. So it's a real, in the game, it's a real company and that, that stays. Good, good, good. So, you know, I, I, I went through, spent like a half a day making a list of everyone I could find. Sure. And then we went through that list and said, okay, this one stays, this one goes. And um, it came up with a, a decision. It, there, there's some that we couldn't change because we couldn't really change. We didn't want to change the audio. That's the, what I was going to ask about. Right. Yeah. So it, where there was an easy change where it's just a line was dropped off, then that, w- that worked we're fine. Um, there are a few changes where there's some art changes that we made, um, some, some references that are gone. Um, if you go into the into the coroner's, you know, the sheriff's office, there's something mm-hmm. on the wall which is no longer there. You know, little things like that. Um, I like how right now you got the coroner and the sheriff mixed up as you were talking to. <laughs> well, I was telling you which room it was. Which of the how two could rooms. you possibly confuse them? They're two yeah. completely separate <laughs> people. Jeez. Right, right. Um, so I, you know, it, people were thinking that we were kidding when we said we did this. <laughs> so come on, it's not really happening. But you know, it's kind of a you know gives you the gives you the option and we understand that some people don't like feeling like they're left out and they're not getting it and so let's just streamline it a bit and and you know open it up i saw someone who today on twitter who said is this really serious you really do you really get rid of this he said yeah i mean it's an option yeah it's okay i'll buy the game now because he had been oh, holding wow. off mm. buying based on feedback he he read in some of the reviews that some people thought it was over over the top. Um, that they decided um, he decided he would didn't want to buy it. So <laughs> we got we got at least wow. one one new sale because yeah. of this. <laughs> that's cool. Even just the fact that a, a company would do that. I mean, would go back and change all the in jokes to to be more inclusive to new gamers or to people that hadn't played games. I mean, the games are. 30 years old. It makes sense, I guess, but yeah. Heartbreaking well, I, for Jason. I, and I. I, I'm guessing <laughs> yeah. that anyone who listens to your podcast would, you know, make sure that you, you know, set it to on. I think defaults to off at this point. Oh, wow. So yeah, the toilet, to, toilet paper goes over also. Any listeners just want to make sure over. that that's clear. Oh, yes. The, the default <laughs> for toilet paper is under. Oh, oh no. wow. Yeah. Got to fix oh, that. No. Yeah. <laughs> There's some people who said, I can't play your game because that's the default. It's crazy. Wow. <laughs> yeah, of course. There's always something. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, this is probably too obvious of a question, um, but again, spoilers uh, coming. Um, 
every character, every playable character vomits. In fact, that's that's part of a, a puzzle. Right. Except for Franklin, if I've got this right. Right. So what I want to know is, is there a character animation for Franklin vomiting? There is not. Okay. Just curious because, if that was something that people had worked on in their own time and said, you know what, but we, we have no, to be completists. We, he's, he's, by this point, he's dead. So it's true. Um, he, he doesn't need to eat or vomit. So not even ghost cake, not even ghost cake. I, I think he, he didn't even try to eat the ghost cake. There is no, no eat verb. No, so, no. no. He's actually <laughs> good though. Or moan use. and despair. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they, they, we had um, Octavi um, was our primary animator, and what was really cool about working with we you know, we've never worked with him before, so this was new for all of us. And we just say, you know, Ron would tell him we need four animations, one for each character, of, and then vomiting, and you know they have to be different. And that was it. That was all the direction. Oh, interesting. And yeah. he came back, so th- the whole thing was was from Octavi. And that that's true for a lot of the stuff. Um, there, we just kind of give him a general idea of what we wanted to have, and he would come back with, you know, an amazing animation that was just, you know hilarious. Yeah, I, I love the the bit yeah. with the the ransom and the and the itch cream. I never yes. saw that. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. So good. The itch cream. I, oh, I was thinking of the face cream, the scratching. But yeah, oh, the itch that cream. Too. We did the all itch that. Cream. He did all that too. This cream is great. Yeah. What about um, the, uh, what about Dolores's dance? How much of that was him? That was all him. <laughs> I think him. we, he, he just we ended dance. up, I think we ended up doing research. Might've been Jen. I'm not sure who, but someone did research to see what dances were popular Gosh, in 1987. That's fantastic. We found video. We found video examples of those dances. We, we just, we narrowed it down to three and, Gave him the reference material, and then he he took it up from there. So those are real dances. I mean, those are yeah, yeah. those are oh, yeah. not made up dances in terms of from his mind, but he did the animation for them. That's cool. Then it's we reused the great moment. We you know then at the end there's the bit where the developers get to do yeah. one piece of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a great moment too. I th- I think the dance was what pushed me over um, on Dolores, where she was a character I really enjoyed playing to. She kind of became one of my top 10 video game characters ever mm. in that moment. There was just such, I, I wasn't laughing at her. I was just laughing with her. And it was really, it was, it was a really cool moment of character connection. Well, I, and I love the voicing. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the woman who did the voice also did a lot of sound effect work for us. I mean, mm. she's actually a coder. Oh, nice. which, I, which, you know, so it's in a sense, it's like, kind of like typecasting, <laughs> sure. um, but you know, she, she, when I heard her voice, cause I had been writing most of Dolores's lines, I, I said, you know, this one, absolutely. This one's great. I love it. Was, it she was just such a fantastic character. Um, so Dolores, um, was played by, um, Elise Cates mm-hmm. and she, she's awesome. She um, was really great. Yeah, and and there there is a there is um should take a look of the characters that um people have been co- cosplaying and and doing art for you know she and Ransom are the are primary ones that people like to yeah. do. That's do awesome. Up, not surprisingly, that's fantastic. Um, we're we're pretty far into the interview now, so I want to make sure we cover some other things. Um, throughout your career, uh, in addition to to a lot of your work, it, it seems like you were trying to make the world better, uh, for lack of a, a better phrase there, um, with the Marine Computer Center, um, some of your community work, the local and larger political work. I, I guess the question was really, do you view that as distinct from the commercial work you've done, or is it kind of all part and parcel? Is it is it one kind of thing with just different aspects to it? I think it's totally connected. Um, when, I mean, the, the initial impetus to doing the computer stuff back before we did the computer center was that I was imagining creating some sort of a interactive Disneyland. This is like 1976. So I'm picturing this interactive Disneyland um, where it was kind of like Disneyland, except everything was um, repeatable and and immersive and you'd actually be doing stuff with other characters and interacting like you're in a video game, but in real life, kind of like VR. And, and um, 
that you would be doing these experiences that would alter you in some way, in a good way, that you'd learn something about yourself, that you would um, maybe come out of the experience with new insights about who you are and maybe change your point of view, which I think a good movie can really do. Mm-hmm. And then I read, um, a few a few years later, I read Ender's Game and Orson Scott Card's description of the the um, the giant game, so it's called. It's like the the game that Ender has on his computer. Yeah, <clears throat> which lets you, you know, which you know, the computer it knows him so well that it would present, gra- you know, basically graphic adventure game, but it would present puzzles that would it knew would he would have a hard time solving because of the way he thought, mm-hmm. because of his maybe me- mental blocks or blind spots. And so it was trying to push him against those and have him work through those and and have it then open up his life in the same way. So that was kind of the, the original dream. And I really wasn't interested in shooting games or um, I, I wanted games that had some aspect of, you know, opening up new territory. Some games I could do that, some I couldn't. I think that's probably why I like Zach so much. Zach McCracken is mm. because it reflected a lot of my new agey you know, love and background. And, sure. and I got to actually, you know, let people experience a bunch of crazy new agey stuff. Um, In like a science fiction kind of way though. Yeah. 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 But you know, like plus, plus like, you know, psychic stuff and mind linking and, and yeah. teleportation and all these abilities that I wish I had, you know? Sure. So um, there, there's that part. And then there's, I think when I stopped doing games for quite a while, like after, say from 94 until kind of until I did Rubik's, I really wasn't involved in game production very much. I mean, there was a a bit where my wife and Annie and I got to do a, some designs for Disney and for the, some theme park stuff. So for like an interactive overlay, which kind of matched the thing I, my first dream, Mm -hmm. and we actually got to do that. And, and, um, one of them got implemented in at Tokyo Disney Sea. That's awesome. And um, but other than that, it was kind of like you know, doing like you said, like News Trust, which was all about um, truth and journalism and and crowdsourcing. Which too bad it wasn't around now because it could really be useful. That's what I thought when I read it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and um, other other things like I was working at this company called. Live World, which did this thing called Talk City, which was like one of the early online communities um, from like 96 to 2000. I was there. Um, it was kind of Apple's version of AOL okay. that then got spun off from Apple into this new company. And um, always been working with my wife, who's very much into all this. She's an educator and she works with kids and with teachers and she writes books and so doing apps based on the books she's written um so there's a definitely emotional intelligence related things there that we've worked on together um so that's definitely a part of it but but you know thimbleweed was you know pretty much just pure gaming i mean it's not violent it's just you know it matches my sensibilities but i I don't know that you play this game and come out as a better person necessarily you might be better at keeping massive puzzles in your head yeah. to figure out how to do it. But, yeah. um, um, so that's, that's not quite exactly the, the direction, um, the VR stuff. I, I would, if I ended up doing that, that would, I would love to do something which went back to my original dream yeah. in terms of affecting how people relate to other people. Yeah. I, I got to disagree. I, I think Thimbleweed is a giant Zen koan and, uh, <laughs> You you really I think you can reach enlightenment through it if you play it if you play it right. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> I think but, I think the Zen Koan part is probably comes from from Ron in terms of this. And his his ending the ending is is and the way the story flows is really comes out of his his head. That's great. Yeah. Okay, I think we can probably move on. Jay, do you have any more questions? No. no okay. Yeah. Great. Then we can jump into what's the beer, what's the song, uh, and recommendations. Uh, David, are you ready? Yes, I did some research. I, as oh, wow. I mentioned, I'm, I'm not a huge beer drinker. Sure, sure. But I, I found that there's this, Sierra Nevada had, had this beer called Bigfoot Barley Wine Style Ale. Yes. And in 1987, 
it at the Great American Beer Festival. It was the gold medal winner in the broad category of ales. So wow. I figured, you know, 1987, I was looking for something that was a 1987 beer. Nice. Um, Sierra Nevada, kind of a Northwest kind of a feel, which I, I feel like, you know, Thimbleweed Park kind of feels like that, even Very though much. we never really say where it is. And hey, but, you know, we don't have any Bigfoot, Bigfoot in there, but um, it, it kind of matches the the style. I think it says, um, Bigfoot is a beast of a beer brimming with bold flavors of bittersweet malt and heaps of aggressive whole cone Pacific Northwest hops. Oh, preach. Yeah. And I can testify it's a great beer. <laughs> oh, I love that. You beer. know it. Okay. I'll, oh, have, yeah. to, I'll have to find it. Yeah, Good that, choice. I, I'm okay. up in Northern California, way, way almost Oregon, and that's the closest brewery to us. So okay, I've done the tour a couple times and had Bigfoot a lot. It's delicious. I'm gonna have to look for it. Yeah, definitely. And then yeah. uh, if there's a song, what song uh, stood out to you as as best oh, representing Thimbleweed? Song? I don't. I think I'm stuck on that one. Um, well, I, I had another question there. It, it might get you there. Do you have a ritual when you code? Do you have like music that you listen to? Um, no, I can't. Favorite I can't, particular album? I really can't. Um, yeah. There's something about having, especially if they're lyrics, but yeah. If, yeah. Um, I've done it with music occasionally as long as, long as it's instrumental, but as soon as I, the words start coming out, then it kind of like grates against the part of my brain that has to be thinking and yep. pulls yep. me out of it. So often I just, I'm, it's quiet. Yep. Every, every time, whenever I'm coding or when I was in school doing homework, I, I like the idea of being able to listen to music. And then when I just realized that I, yeah, I'd turn it off. I just work twice as fast. So I definitely understand yeah, I mean, that. I mean, the, there was a point in the game where I'd have the game running when I'm coding mm-hmm. and I'd have to pause it because the music started kind of impinging and, and like, I got, I, I love the music, Yeah, but it, it just, it was getting in the way of, of concentrating. So totally. Yeah. I did. You, there was another question you asked about recommendations. A, yeah, part basically anything that you want to recommend that you know a, a show that you're hooked up you know on yeah, right now a book well, just about anything. The I'm I'm I love Netflix. <laughs> There's some shows there that I really loved. Um, you I can, just got you can do several watching. now if you want. There's a bunch. Okay, so um, I love the first episode of American Gods. It's not Netflix, but okay. Um, I love the book. I'm excited I, to watch it. I love the book. I thought the episode did a, a really great job of capturing the feel. And I, I read the book long enough ago that I'm not going to be bothered by any minor changes yeah. between the two. It just felt like it, it matched it. Cool. Um, That's nice. I, I think my one of my favorite shows recently was Jessica Jones. Yep. Yeah. And it was just something connected with me on that one. I just thought it was amazing. I'm yeah. looking forward to the, the when when that continues. Yeah. Um, let's see. I, I like strange, strange. Was it strange things? Stranger things. Stranger things. Str- Stranger things. Um, I we did a uh, a podcast on that. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to listen to that. I yeah. I had that queued up, but I haven't listened to it yet. Nice. Um, and I thought they did a great job of capturing the era, and it was especially of interest since we're pretty much doing the game in the same era that they were doing the, the, that show in. True. I haven't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was very interested in seeing how they portrayed that period. Um, have you seen some of the eight bit or kind of scum like art for, yeah. In like the did, Things style? Like yeah. A, as if this were a graphic adventure. Exactly. Like, yeah. I saw that. Those are gorgeous. Yeah. Um, there's a book I would recommend called, um, girl with all the gifts. Okay. And it's, it's a movie. The movie was okay movie just came out. It's kind of in, was a limited release and I think it's available on streaming. Um, I, I don't think I'd recommend the movie, um, unless you read the book. Okay. It's one of those things where the book is just, um, hits the mark. And my, my wife who does not like zombie themed stuff. Yeah. Loved it also. Um, we have this, cool. we have this, um, tradition now where we, read each other. She mostly, she's the reader, but during breakfast though, she's actually reading a book while reading breakfast out loud. That's cool. And kind of like doing it in sections. And I think that started when we started rereading a Harry Potter, um, all the books right after I went to the Harry Potter at Universal yes. in Florida, the Florida yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. And, um, so anyway, she liked this book too. And it's, 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 it's a, you know, a dystopian universe 
we're you know, zombies, but I don't want to give anything else away. It's from a totally Men. different point of view. Yeah, it, yeah. Men, you very, don't have to sell very, me anymore. I'm there. <laughs> okay, very human. It's not. It's not about the the normal zombie aspect. Sure. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. That sounds great. Uh, and then, okay. and uh, is there anything else you wanted to plug as well? I know you said that Annie's got a uh, podcast. Well, Annie has a podcast called Family Confidential. Okay, and it's you know she interviews. Um, educators and authors, and it's usually in the area of, of either dealing with parenting or um, working with kids. And I think we just are down like maybe 90, I think we just did our 98th video episode. And there was wow. another 30 or 40 audio ones we did before that. So we're, we've been doing it for several years. Um, so it's familyconfidential.com and it's on, you know, it's on iTunes. Yeah, check that out too. Yeah, obviously, you know, Rubrics, yeah. which is, um, if you like, I think of it as kind of like a mini adventure or, or casual adventure game where you could solve um, adventure-like puzzles in like 15 minutes. Um, and it's on um, iOS, Android, and on desktop at Steam. And, uh, and that's something that teachers are that, using in classrooms too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Rube Goldberg machines are often used as projects, for, right? Yeah, for for science teachers or or younger for younger kids, just for for math or whatever, just to teach logic mm-hmm. and and also simple machines. And they're now a lot of them are incorporating Rubrics as, as the as an app for the kids to go through and play a bunch of levels and actually be able to build puzzle, you know, machines that Rube Goldberg actually. These are based on his cartoons, so these are actually oh, built wow. on, based on the cartoons that Rube Goldberg drew 100 years ago, and um, well, maybe 80 years ago, <laughs> right back in oh, the 20s only and 80s, 30s. only yeah, 80 years 80. ago. Okay, and um, you, you you get immersed in thinking like Rube. That's cool. Yeah. And then when you actually go off and and the kids make their own, they've already adjusted their thinking kind of like it's like adventure game thinking mm-hmm. right? yeah there's a, a bizarre way of, of logic and combining things and all that so um definitely that it's like with three bucks i think on on a mobile and five on on desktop cool and and, th- and you can see where where i was like five years ago before <laughs> i started working on this <laughs> nice and uh, any any thoughts about Thimbleweed Two or a a follow up project with his crew? Um, I don't know. I, well, the the game's only been out for a month. Um, <laughs> I think we just had a one month Sorry, anniversary a couple of days ago. <laughs> nice. And we're still working on. Um, we just we just the release we just did has Russian. It now has a Russian language in wow. there. That's awesome. We, the original release was you know efig, so it was you know English, French, Italian, German, and Spanish. Now Russian. Um, we're working on the mobile versions, yep. and there's a there's an arcade inside of the game which we locked the door to because we haven't yeah. done the games. So we're probably going to have like mini games which we're going to add. Yes. So there's, there's probably a few more months months of work. Cool. Um, not at the same rate that we were doing before. For me, it's been like maybe a third to half time. Um, and then really it. it has to do well. Um, I know they haven't made back the initial investment yet. I think they got some additional funds to help fund the game. Okay. And that's, that's in the podcast we just did. Ron mentions that. So, you know, I know that it has to do well enough to, to want them for Ron to want to jump in and do another one. Totally. If he does, I would love to, I mean, I, I, I can't say anything, but positive things of working with him and Gary cool. and the rest of the team. And I'd love to do something else with him if that came if that came about. Yeah, we'll um, do our best time. to advertise the crap out of this episode. Yeah, <laughs> advertise the crap. Every, everyone should buy a dozen copies and give them away to their friends. I love and, it. Always. <laughs> yep. In Steam, it's very easy to buy uh, to buy a game. You can either buy it for yourself or buy it as a gift. I think the buttons are right next to each other. So very easy to just gift Thimbleweed to people, your right. moms, your dads, your grandparents, your kids. 
Yeah. Don't, and you know, hey, people, don't wait for it to go on sale. It's not going to happen for a really long time. <laughs> so if you're waiting for the price to drop, you're, you're going to be waiting. Everyone, all your friends will have played the game by the time you get to it. Exactly. Yeah. Be, and there's going to be even, more in jokes then. It, so. You won't get any of the thimbleweed in jokes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Oh man. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure talking about the old days, the new days, everything in between. So yeah. Great. Thank you. Let me know when, when this is going to come out. Definitely. will. definitely will. Jay, do you have anything else? Got nothing else. All right. Signing off. Hey, thank you guys.